I remember the year before I went to live in Japan, Japan had a mix Miss Japan. She was half black and half Japanese. And she gave this wonderful, beautiful documentary. And I, I saw the whole thing because I was into beauty pageants and I was into Japan. So I was like, ah,、oh, this is for me. But it was just this poor woman explaining how hard it was for her to grow up over there. So when I went there, I was working for a company and、um, there were several couples there that were mixed Japanese and American.、Um, and in the classroom, they made the mixed children sit in the back. That was one thing. No matter if you're white, no matter nothing. If you're not pure Japanese, you sit in the back. And this was 2004. 14. Oh,、yeah. you're, saying, you're saying the story and it makes it seem like it's the 1600s or something. No, it's now. And I remember、um, if they don't do that, then they avoid them like the plague. And these were things that I heard that woman say on the documentary. And I was like, she's just looking for publicity. Like, I understand. Like, you know, she's trying to, to get her 15 minutes. No, no, no. This,、oh, everything she said in that documentary. I saw it with my own eyes. And it's like, these are children. Okay, I was teaching a first grade, and it's like, they don't talk to those mixed children. And these children are sons and daughters of, you know,、uh, military based people who are stationed there, Americans,、um, whether they're black or white. If, if these are white children, they avoid them because they look different. And even though they were born there and speak fluent Japanese, They don't accept them as Japanese. If they're black, they avoid them because they believe that the blackness is going to stick to them too. So they don't want to touch them. Yo, 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 what up, y'all? Dimelo, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Quien Duerez podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know it's your boy Pavel. I'm bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. The clip you heard in the intro was with this week's guest. Lizarette. All right, before getting into Lizarette's bio, just want to give you a quick reminder wherever you are listening to this podcast, please do us a favor like, subscribe, share, comment. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts specifically, there is an option to leave a review. Please leave a review, give us a rating. It'll help us understand what we are doing right, what we can do better. And also, the rating just helps us get discovered and, he, and helps these stories get heard by more people. Now, let's get into Lizarette's bio. Lizarette was born and raised in the Dominican Republic. De lo mio. Growing up in poverty and with little resources, she focused on her studies from a young age. Currently, she is pursuing her PhD in developmental psychology with a master's in early age childhood education. With this, she aims to bring parents resources that she believes are critical for their children's development. After living in 30 different countries, yes, 30 different countries, she actually decided to settle down and start a family of her own. And with the birth of her son, the idea of starting her own daycare, preschool, and kindergarten was born as well. Her aspirations are to help future generations reach their maximum potential. And with this daycare, the preschool, the kindergarten, Her children's books that she's authored and several TED Talks that are already in circulation, her mission is just getting started. With that said, let's get into the episode.、Uh, but yeah, let's keep it conversational. Feel free to ask me questions as well.、Uh, let, let's start off with you know, the, typical question, the typical question that I always ask 
you know, if people tell you to be your, your authentic self or when you hear the word authenticity, what comes to mind for you? Authentic. Oh my God, being authentic. You know, right now I'm trying to answer your question. And at the same time, I'm trying to not sound like I have an accent. And oh. so I might get blocked off. It's funny because it's always in my head, but I, what does it mean for me? Authenticity, right? It means to not be afraid. I think that's what it, what it means for me. Um, for a long time, for I think my whole life, if it, it has been a struggle between who I am, who I want to be, and who I'm told I should be. And so being authentic means to really be who I am. But when I do that, I scare people. And so I'd rather just go with what I should be and what I'm told to be than embrace who I am. So I, I would say that if I could choose authentic, it would be just to be me, free, happy, me. <laughs> wow, that's, that's deep. What a, tell me more about, you know, you said fear is such an interesting word, right? Like, have you felt scared to be yourself? Absolutely. I think, I think we've all, we all have parts of ourselves that we are afraid to show others. But I think that any, anyone who is human has felt at some point scared to be themselves. And it's because, for me, it's cultural. Because I grew up constantly having to, to you know, not disappoint the people that raised me or the people who were around me. And they sort of looked up to me to like do the right thing or or continue the legacy or whatever that means. And um, so I, I was always trying to to do what I thought they wanted me to do. And it was not until later in my life that I started thinking, well, this is what they want me to do. But Lisa, what do you want to do? And so there comes a conflict between the things that are expected from you and the things that you truly feel you want to do or want to say. Um, and don't get me wrong, sometimes some things you want to do or say are, might not be the greatest idea ever. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking back to school and things I wanted to do and say to teachers and, and I was like, you know, don't, don't. But, um, but in the end, you really, you really have to choose happiness. You really have to choose yourself. I feel like some people, unfortunately, go through life without ever really experiencing happiness because they don't allow themselves to to be without fear to be yeah. without the judgment to be without that little voice that starts talking and we're like nobody wants to see you without makeup come on you need you know you need to put it on or you shouldn't wear that you're not supposed to wear that you know what's going to happen when you wear that and it's like so i I have to choose happiness. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because I think everyone has those voices in their heads, right? And I think sometimes we, like for me, for example, like I, like those stories in my head or those people in my head, like those are really just like people that I've made up. It's not necessarily like someone telling me to do a certain thing, but I'm wondering like you growing up, you mentioned like you had certain expectations. I'm wondering if those people that you're referring to are like actual people in your life telling you to telling you to be a certain way like 
talk to me a little bit about growing up and what were some of those expectations that you feel like were placed on you? So, well, first, I think it was very tough for me. And again, I know there's a lot of people who have it tough, but I'm talking about the story I know, which is my own. Mm-hmm. And it was tough because, um, you know, my mom was a single mom. Um, we were, I was growing up in a third world country with very little, res- little resources and an extremely male oriented society where my mom was in a male dominated field, really trying to make it happen for us. And it was very, very challenging for her. And so what I learned by the interactions my mom had in, in very trivial things like going to the colmado to buy something or we're walking on the street um i remember one time for example that we were walking and um some dude whistled at me and uh my mom was just like keep walking and i always had questions and it's like no you know like i don't like i want to confront this person she's like it's not worth it you know it's a and I'm like, I just feel that that attitude of is not worth it. It's what's letting him know that it's okay for him to do that. Um, somebody, I, I don't think somebody has stopped and been like, dude, you have to stop. Like, come on. And then it's like, oh, that's not your job. And I'm like, oh, whose job is it? And so it was just this, this uh, struggle between my mom was very like, play it safe, play it safe, play it safe. But it's because she grew up with this, like, oh my God, if she didn't play it safe, her life could be in danger. And so she wanted me to survive. And for a bit, you know, especially when I became a teenager, it was like, my mom doesn't want me to be myself. And, you know, there comes that back and forth. But my mom, now that I'm doing my PhD in, in developmental psychology and I understand more about behavior and all of that, I sort of understand where she was coming from. And truly, ultimately, she wanted me to be safe in a place that was very unsafe for, for a young woman growing up. And her experiences shaped part of the way she treated me, raised me. Sometimes they were not the greatest uh, approaches, but those were the only ones she knew. And I'm not excusing things because we have these difficult conversations now and I'm not excusing the things I know she did that were not okay, but I understand. Um, it, was, it was a lot about safety and it was a lot about her not wanting me to get hurt. The thing is that, and this is something that many, many women who um, happen to birth very strong women is that, everybody's different and so maybe you have your own stuff you're working through and that's okay you gotta let people be and so for her was she was afraid of letting me be see every time that came out she was like oh no you're gonna get hurt i better just hide you in this box and i'm like i don't i don't know boxes excuse me i'm gonna be out here and so um I honestly believe that the voice, like that particular voice, and for those people, like my colleagues watching me right now talking about voices in my head, please, I still want to get my license. <laughs> I don't really hear voices. It's a metaphor to, yeah. to just my mom. It's, it's my mom telling me, I, I want to keep you safe. And then it's me saying, I'm okay. I, I'll take care of myself. It's all right. And, and just to give context, where did you grow up? I grew Dominican up. Dominican Republic? Yes, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, born and raised. And, and, you know, we often hear about like machismo culture. And I had someone else on on the podcast, uh, Angie, who I don't know if you know about Dominican Writers Association. She's yes. dope, though. No, yeah, I yeah. work with them. So I'm, I'm about to launch my book and I'm working with them on that. So I know Angie, I, I love her. Yeah, she spoke <laughs> awesome. a little bit. of. That's really dope. I really want to want to check it out whenever you do publish. Um, 
yeah. Uh, yeah, she spoke a little bit about machismo and like how it impacted her life. But from your perspective, like, what was your experience with it overall and how you think it affected you? Because you mentioned like your mom was trying to like hide you from certain things out of fear for her life and for your life as well. So we, there's so many stories and this is where I'm doing my research on cultural trauma. And I am, I want to publish about how the culture you are born and raised in shapes you for life. You carry some of those things with some, some of those things from your culture, you carry them with you. Even when you leave that culture, let's say you, you're an expat somewhere else. I've lived in 30 different countries and I went to other places and I met people and I, we spoke about our experiences and still there, it comes out. Um, back when I, you know, I don't know how things are now because honestly, I'm, I don't frequent Dominican Republic as much as I would like to. But back when I was a child, um, it was just, it was just not the greatest place to be a girl um, in the sense of there were so many rules and, and things that, that were expected from you and things that people knew and you were supposed to know. And then I think the thing I least, the, the thing I least like about my particular family and, and the whole thing that was going on was like the hush hush sort of thing about, oh, you know, this person said something or particularly let's say a male uh, figure in the family said something or did something I didn't like. As a girl, you're just supposed to hush hush. You're just supposed to respect. You're just supposed to, oh, we don't talk about it. Oh, or, or like, I remember when I became a teacher and I thought my story was, this burden for me to carry. I was like, wow, this probably didn't happen to anybody else. And then I start talking with students. I start talking with colleagues and everybody has a story. And I'm like, it's an epidemic. A similar story, you mean? Like to you. Yes, yeah. So, so girls growing up, um, everybody has the story of a cousin or a neighbor or somebody who did something that they shouldn't have done to a young girl or, or you know, said something that stayed with them for life or, like I remember sibling stories uh, from a coworker where like she was not like her brother had to to get his food first, so he like he got the best parts of the chicken. Like all oh, these weird things that I know doesn't ha it doesn't happen everywhere, but to hear these little stories like some of, of them about food, but how that made her feel, she told me shaped her way. Like she was a vegetarian, right? And she was telling me I I think that I don't like to eat meat because it reminds me of my brother getting the best pieces of chicken and then I had to get whatever wow. was over, right? And I'm like, well, that's not fair. Your home is supposed to be the place where you feel safe. And, and this person looked, she, she was like acknowledging and, and I'm glad she was like her own brother. And again, it was not him. He didn't choose this. It was like their parents making this dynamic and like, that's one story. And then I hear the other girls say, oh, you know, um, my cousin touched me inappropriately. I told my mom and she said, we were not going to talk about it. And I'm like, this is not okay. We have to talk about this thing. We need to tell girls they have a voice and we need to tell them this because they need to be respected. And so learning this about my culture, you know, made me have this love hate relationship with it where there's so many things I truly love and things that I'm like, this is terrible. Um, and I believe it's because we hush hush that it continues to happen. 
um, today particularly, I had a conversation with my mom about a, a family member. So there was a family reunion and to make the long story short, there was this girl and she was 14 and the family member is an older man. He's in, I think he's 70. But the thing is that he told the girl, oh, come give your uncle a hug. And she said, no. And he got upset. And he was like, oh, falta de respeto. Disrespectful little girl. I used to change her diapers. How dare you? And I remember saying, you know, she's, she's allowed to say no. She's allowed to say she doesn't want you to touch her. Like, even if it's a hug, even if you're her uncle, she doesn't have to hug you. You know, and, and this little thing when we tell little kids, like, go give Titi a hug, go figure them. And the kid is like hesitant. We have to respect that. And, and I just feel like it's part of the culture. We're like, oh, odioso. this kid is, is like, oh, they don't like, oh, how can you be like that with your family? Well, mm -hmm. because that's who I am. And I'm, you know, have boundaries and I want to learn about them. But anyway, me fui en una. <laughs> no, no, no. That, all of that is so important. And it's bringing back memories for me. Um, I mean, not that it was anything inappropriate, but I'm just thinking about it now, like how often, I don't know, I feel like many Dominican households, they're like, almost like, uh, like tourist stops whenever someone comes from DR, it's like they have to swing by the house before yes. they go to the house that they're going to stay in. Unless your unless your house is also the hotel, which like people just stay <laughs> in and people visit. <laughs> so, so my, my grandma's house, she still lives there. Uh, shout out to Abuela. Like, it's, it's mostly the hotel, but as of late, it's more so been like the stop for people, like their first stop after the airport before they go to their um, actual place. Um, and I remember growing up, my mom used to be like, she used to fucking yank me out my bedroom to be like, go, go give your Theo a hug and all this other thing. And I'm like, all right. And like, I used to be like, mom, but I don't really go do it. And I'm just like, uh, oh, okay. And I just got so accustomed to doing it. I mean, there is a certain like, courtesy of it that like I'm sure she was trying to teach me right of like say hi to people be friendly and all these things but the way that we go about it sometimes is just like a forced way and if we say no it's just like what, what do you mean no no go do it I feel that it's important I, I think we need to have more conversations I feel that we still have this old school mentality um in, in our culture in which like oh children are not allowed to have this like thoughts they're not allowed to say things like you you mm. obey and you do because i'm the adult and so yeah. our culture has this thing where where listen to me why are you not listening to me to parents and to to the figures and of authority means obey and we don't know how to separate and this is something i talk um when i'm when i'm talking with colleagues because uh some of them are from different backgrounds and so it's like we don't know how to separate listen from obey it's not the same and I feel our culture has to understand that when you tell a child, a young adult, um, you have to listen to me. It's not, you have to do what I say now, a command, because we're human beings. And obviously you're gonna have people who are going to comply and people who are gonna give you pushback. It is because we need to create better relationships with the children that then when the kids grow up, we're having struggles. And that's the part I feel it's so important to start talking about. Have better relationships with those young kids. Don't tell them, go to your room and I don't want to hear you. Uh, uh, you don't have an opinion. Uh, 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 you, oh, like, no. Teach them that they do have an opinion. Even though if it's something that you don't agree, you can tell them that. You know what? Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I don't agree with it. We, you know, we're going to do this and that. Conversations. Open up. Explain. Because 
that old mentality of uh, because I say so, because I'm your mother, because I'm your father, you have no idea what I was going through when I was your age. Of course, they don't. They were not there. And this is this happens. I, I speak with clients. I speak with people who reach out to me and they're like, my child won't just listen to me. And then when they start telling me, I'm like, I, I think you got the terms mixed up. Listening is one thing and obeying is another thing. And you cannot expect a human being with a personality to just follow command. It's just, uh, it's unrealistic. Yeah, no, I get that. And it's funny too, because <laughs> many times like they, they, they tell children like they're too young to do certain things. Meanwhile, these same children are their translators, their tax preparers, their accountants, they're like all these things. So it's just like, what am I old enough to do? And what am I not old enough to do? Which is really interesting. Uh, and so I, I'd love to get into like, you know, you had certain expectations on you and I'm sure there were more expectations on you, right? On like what you should be. But at the end of the day, like there was this, this uh, something growing inside you was like, no, I want to be something else. I, I dreamt of being this other girl or this woman. You know, what were some of those things that you really wanted to be and felt like you, you should be, but you probably couldn't be at the time? So... I've been, I've always been very big on speaking up my mind. I yeah. have to tell you what I'm thinking. And this is why the friends I have are the best friends in the world. They love me. And then <laughs> there's people who hate me and they hate me. And there's never, I have my best friend who says, there's no middle ground with you. You either fall in love with you or you just despise you. And it's because of the way you express yourself. And I just had no choice but to learn not to be afraid. And I wanted to be this person who was not afraid, but I was constantly being sent signals that I should fear this and I should fear that and I should not want to be that and I should not want to do this. Girls don't do that. Or that's not what a good girl does. Or that's not, I'm like, okay, where is all of this coming from? And um, I started, since I didn't have, obviously I was missing a family. I had my mom and that's it. So there was no siblings, there was no father, there was nothing else. And grandma from time to time, which was more uptight than my mom. So um, rest in peace, grandma, she was the best, but she was very old school. Um, and so it's like, I started getting this ideas of who I should be from TV and the media. And the media was telling me that I had to relax my hair. And the media was telling me that I should not get under the sun. And the media was telling me and so I was like, all right, I, if I, you know, when you're young, you just listen to whatever sounds right to you. But even though after following those trends, I was not happy. I was not fulfilled. Something inside of me was just saying, this is not you. This is not you. So I had a whole stage of <laughs> dressing in black and I was a goth and I had long straight black hair in DR. You can imagine how well that went. You can just imagine. So I, I remember. La cogió el diablo. Así, no. Yo yeah. era la metálica del diablo in my school. Like, metálica. Like, I had classmates who would do this to me. They'd be like, she's possessed, right? And it's, I look back at this and I'm like, oh my God. It's so funny because it was just, it was, uh, you know, animals. And I'm going back to, to, um, 
PhD me. Animals send signals into nature and those signals tell other animals what they are. Sometimes these animals may be poisonous, um, venomous, or sometimes these animals you shouldn't touch them and some of them are easy prey. And so their colors and their textures and the way they display themselves tell on the other animals. And the same is with humans. And so when you dress a certain way, you send signals. Um, and they're sometimes they're unconscious. Uh, and it's all psychology and research. And so when you dress only in black, it's like a crow, right? You're sending these vibes like, don't approach me. But at the same time, that's what I wanted the most. I was desperate for connection and friends. And, and it was just that time when I was really drifting away from my mom, you know, teenagers like you're trying to find yourself so and so i chose the worst path ever i chose to be a goth in dominican republic i'm wearing long sleeve black shirts in 90 degree weather with this long hair and i'm sweating like my eyeliner is like dripping i'm like i don't care darkness and it was hilarious because um i took public transportation dress like this and I remember this like Christian people waiting for me to get off the bus so they could shout at me, you're gonna burn in hell, repent and be saved. And it was hilarious. I'm so glad there was no social media back then because I would have been like with my phone, like, yes, this is material from my, from my Instagram today. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. You know, like she's a Christian, she's holding a Bible, but she's telling me I'm gonna burn in hell. I thought that, you know, the, the, that lifestyle was about, and, and those beliefs were about loving people the same as you love yourself. And, you know, if somebody you see that is doing something, you might try to like help them out. You don't shout at them that they're gonna burn in hell, but hey, maybe I got it wrong. So, um, so that was hilarious. And um, it was at a whole stage and I was still not myself. I was like, this is also not me. I thought I was making these conscious decisions about like, but I think it was also mixed with, this is something that here, it's like a challenge. It's a challenge, mm -hmm. nobody's doing it. And I am, I am going to do this unique thing and I'm gonna go out there and yes, I'm gonna dress in black and <laughs> have the long black hair. And then I was like, what are you doing, man? And also, <laughs> all of that stopped and I got a boyfriend, so that was good. <laughs> no, but um, jokes aside, um, Finding yourself in a place that's constantly telling you who you are supposed to be without family support, which happens to many of us, which come from broken homes, it's yeah. beyond challenging. Um, so props to all the people who have gone through that at some point in their lives, because it takes a lot of courage to stand up one day and be like, I don't have to dress in black and I don't have to you know, dress this other way and I don't have to straighten my hair and I don't need to be blonde and I don't need the high heels. I'm just gonna wear whatever I like, whatever makes yeah. me happy. And then if they don't like them, well, uh, my best friend, rest in peace, told me one time we were walking from um, college and there was uh, this girl and she just gave me this dirty look for a prolonged period of time. She's just staring at me. So I tell my friend, look at that bit, staring at me like that. And he's like, don't look at her. I said, that's it. And then I look at him like, <laughs> Like he just said the most ridiculous thing, but he's like, yeah, she's giving you a dirt, don't look at her. That's it, problem solved. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I don't have to look at her. And if she wants to look upset, she can be upset. I'm just gonna keep walking with my hips and everything that's going on.
Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting too. you use the word courage. Like, you know, you went through this goth stage, but even in that sort of rebellion, right. Of like what you were supposed to be, you still weren't being yourself. You said like, when did you get the courage and finally take that, that step that you needed to finally be yourself? Like, do you remember, was it like a specific moment? I don't think it was a specific, specific moment that I woke up. I was like, yay. But I think it was a series of events. So I moved to New York after graduation. And when I moved to New York, um, I forgot, I failed to mention that I had 18 piercings. And um, yes, it was part of it. So I had taken off a few of them. I moved to New York. I moved to the home of uh, one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met. And she's a good friend of my mom. She opened the doors of her home to me. Uh, so until I could find a place to move and all of that. And um, I remember her telling me, so I had this industrial bar on my ear and my whole ear had like little hoops on it. So she was, she was sitting there with me one afternoon and she's like, oh, did that hurt when you got it? Which is a very common question you get from people. Mm -hmm. Oh, did that hurt? And I was like, um, not, not really. Um, and then, you know, I think I was reading or something. And then she's like, do you like having it? Like, like, is there any particular reason why you got that? And I'm like, so then she, she started making me think. And I'm like, well, I got it because it's cool. Uh, and then she's like, yeah. So, you know, it looks painful and do you like it? And I'm like, I used to, I don't know if I like it that much anymore. And then with that, she should be a psychologist. Like she should be <laughs> the one. And then we were going back and forth and ultimately she's like, take it off. Like, like it's about proving that you're tough. She's like, girl, you're here. You're tough. Look at you graduated. Look at you. You, you say, so you don't need to prove anybody you're tough. Like anybody who knows, you knows you're tough. And whoever doesn't know, they'll find out. You don't need to have that thing like in your ear. So I went to the bathroom and took it off and like um, my eyebrow went off after that. And it's like the only piercing I kept was my nose it's still there. Um, it holds a special meaning to me and it looks cute. I really like it. So <laughs> it was just that moment. And uh, after that, uh, I remember going shopping and it was just like, I still had like those traces of like the black clothing and then um, just looking at stuff that I actually liked. And I was like, oh, this looks like something I'd like to wear. And I actually like colors, but I was afraid to say I like colors because I was supposed to be this yeah. dangerous girl. And so um, it was like a transition from my, my whole wardrobe change, uh, everything. And then um, I felt that I was little by like little by little walking towards my own um, freedom and it I, felt great. I wonder if like you, like the physical change of location for you of leaving Dominican Republic and going to New York, was it just like, yo, no one knows me here. I get to like fresh start. I get to start, I get to shape who the hell I am and no one can tell me what I can and can't be. Was it a little bit of that? You know what? That's a great, it's a great point. Um, the change in location may, meant a lot of other changes too. And so like, you know, I, a lot of things that I've never experienced before I experienced here. And when I first came, I was struggling with my old identity to like the person 
and then it's like a snake I said a shed in the skin shed in the skin and for a moment I wanted to like put it back on I was like wait but no I, I didn't need to to do that anymore because the the person who came out of that shed skin was incredible and I like things here were very different. There were things that I didn't like, but what place is perfect? But I remember like little things that started make me think. For example, I joined a modeling agency, which was something I always wanted to do. And my mom always told me, oh, you're short and fat. Nobody's gonna hire you as a model. And so I was like, you know what? No, I sent my pictures to several, several agencies and I got signed with two. And, and it, was, it felt like a great win to me. And so one of those agencies sent me to an, a photo shoot, which I still have the pictures of. And she told me, oh, and by the way, the client wants you with your Afro. And I was like, what? She's like, yes. She's like, your curly hair, you know? The pictures with the curly hair you sent me. I'm like, yeah, but that, that was just for you to see that have texture. And I guess I started making excuses. She's like, well, that's the shoot. So show up with your hair washed, but they want curls, don't blow dry. I've never been so scared in my entire life. I wrote the train and I literally was thinking people were looking at me. I was like, everybody's staring at my hair. Everybody's, oh my God, I didn't do my hair. I didn't do my hair. I didn't do my hair. I should, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember I got to the set and I walked in and I was like, they're all staring at my hair. Ain't nobody staring at nobody. I got in there and there was this woman and she was like, oh, you're, you're Lisa. And I'm like, yes, She's like, oh, I'm going to be your makeup artist today. I'm going to do your hair. And I think, that I will never forget that interaction because that woman just started talking to me. She's like, oh my God, is this hair new? I'm like, yeah, I cut my hair. I, I cut my hair and I stopped relaxing it when I came to New York too. That was another big thing. So I had let my hair grow for like two years at that point. And she was like, oh, this is virgin hair. This And you don't color. I'm like, no, I haven't colored. She's like, oh, we're going to make it. Oh, it's going to be fun. And she did my hair like I've never seen it before. And when I saw myself on those pictures, I cried. And I remember the photographer being like, are you okay? You need a break with some water. I'm like, no, I just, I need a moment. He's like, oh, okay, uh, we're gonna take a break. And then he told like, hey, can you ask if she's okay? Like, uh, like, hey, you, it's okay if you need to use the bathroom or something. I'm like, no, I'm okay. But I just couldn't stop crying. And I remember walking out of there you know, full makeup, hair done, walking so confidently, like never before. It was hey. just like, my hair, I'm riding the train, and yes, people are staring at me, but they're staring at me because I'm hot, man. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, yes, maybe the curly hair works, and it's my curly hair, and oh, yes, and all of that. And then a guy came up to me and was like, nope, <laughs> nope. I'm having a moment, okay? You don't need my number. You don't need to know my... No. I said no. And so I went back to my moment, but it was great. And so, yeah. Yeah, it was just all these little things that happened, like big things that would, would have never happened back home. I'm so proud of the women who are now fighting to bring this concepts to the island, and there's still people giving them pushback. Um, I have a good friend who it's promoting natural hair, and when I read the comments on her Facebook page, I'm like, what is wrong with people? Like, first, you don't have to come and make yeah, those yeah. comments. And second, you don't like your hair? Keep scrolling. Like what? And what do people say? So I remember one that I particularly I commented on because I was really upset. And she's like, don't engage with these people. I'm like, no, girl, like, we're going to engage, okay? 
And uh, this was a long time ago. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, no, but so she posted a picture of her hair and she was explaining um, the benefits of um, aloe and like how we take aloe. And, and the, the, it was a beautiful picture. And then somebody said in Spanish, so they say, vaya peinase, eh, whatever. And which, you know, vaya peinase is like, go, go get your hair done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the person went on about like, I don't understand why people think that being unkept is cool and they want to make it trendy. It's not trendy. Go get your hair done. If you don't have money, get a man to uh, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, she didn't. Oh, 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 no, she did not. I'm so, I'm so curious. Like what, I wonder if the, the comment about the man helping her got you more upset or was it the hair comment? Cause both of those are so problematic. I honestly think it was both. I think I was reading and I was like, here comes another person who has a problem with somebody just doing what, what they want to do, what makes them happy. My friend is passionate about promoting health, you know, healthy hair, natural hair. Cool. There's people who are passionate about wigs. Cool. There's people who are like, whatever makes you happy. And then there's a group of people who are like, they're going to come and like your content. And this person has to come out of nowhere and insert themselves in this like conversation. And they're like, and if you don't have money for the salon, tell your men to give, I'm like, no, you did not. Because this is something that, this is another thing. I remember being in college and having a classmate tell me, so I had a boyfriend and I I really liked my boyfriend, but he was a weirdo like me. We were both weirdos, shout out to my peoples. (laughs) And and she was like, oh, why you date? Like, you're so pretty, why are you with that guy? You should get yourself a guy who pays for your salon on weekends until you get your nails done. Cause you're such a pretty girl and you should, and in my head, I'm like, that's not why I'm with him. Like back then, you know, I was like, I love him. And we're going to be together. <laughs> and all of that. But, but no, I really, like, I really did love the guy. And, and I never cared how much he made or what, you know, we were together because we wanted to be together. Um, and I also felt that, and again, I'm not against... Like if, if you have somebody who gives you money, like my husband buys me stuff. I'm happy with that, but it's not that I'm expecting. And I'm like, this is why I'm with you. You are my little ATM and this is your function. No, he is also a human being. He deserves respect. He, if he gives me something, I felt it had to come from him and it was a gift and it was something he wanted to give me not because I'm like, it's Friday, baby. So, (laughs) um, I just did it. I did. It didn't sit well with me that you said, you know, go get your hair done. And then for some reason there was a connection that, Oh, your hair is undone. Cause you don't have a man to pay for your hair. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, where did you like, where I don't, how did you what? connect those? Yeah. It's yeah. It, I mean, it's so that, that experience that you shared with the modeling agency, that is so powerful. Cause that's probably the first time that you've ever heard your hair associated with like positive words and adjectives where it wasn't people weren't calling it a pahong and telling you to fix it and all of these things like people were celebrating it and i think i think that happens it's interesting because i heard you talking about this on another conversation maybe it was on your ted talk but 
the experience you had when you started traveling a lot more, right? And like, I don't know if New York was the first time that you left Dominican Republic, but I know that you went um, even abroad to like Asia. I think you went to China and over there, like the perception of your beauty was so different than the perception of it in your homeland where you would think they would celebrate it more compared to somewhere else, right? Like, tell me about that experience. So I, I've actually had the blessing of living in 30 different countries. And so oh. the only place I have not been is Australia, which I'm dying to go, even though all the deadly insects and animals are there. Like there's like <laughs> four deadly spiders in the world. Three of them are in Australia. One of them is in Brazil. I want to go to Australia still. <laughs> But that's the joke I always make. But I remember this, like, that's how I started growing as a person. I think traveling was it for me, like, to completely, and I'm still evolving, but to just get to that place where I'm like, wow, look at all these people that I thought were so different, and yet they are so much unlike me. But there were some things that I started learning about beauty standards. And so when I went to China, People loved my hair. Um, people also loved to touch my hair without my permission. Again, I didn't think too much about it. It's just cultural. Like I would be riding the train and I'm like literally with headphones on my phone and I'm like doing my thing and then I feel, and I'm like, and then I face this person and they're like, Wow, like, that's so creepy. That sounds like, it yeah. looks, that looks like a scary movie. And it was like children, women, elderly people, men, everybody. And then, you know, when I started speaking Mandarin, I would say, oh, please don't, you know, don't touch me <laughs> without permission. But permission is a challenging word because there's not really a word for like, excuse me. Or per like, so you have to like play with words there. And so they'd be like, oh, can I take a picture with you? And I'm like, oh, oh okay. God. And I've then they'd be like, yeah. Is that real? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, oh my God, so cool. And I'm like, cool. And I cannot tell you how many people ask me to take pictures with them. But then, um, funny, 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 funny enough, I met, <laughs> we always joked that he was the only Dominican in, so I was living in Wuhan. And uh, I met the only other Dominican in Wuhan. And we're like, obviously, we had to find each other. Dominicans and are everywhere. I told him, like, what are you doing here? He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing in Wuhan, bro? He's like, I'm studying. How about you? I'm like, I'm working. He's like, yeah, man, high five. So <laughs> we started hanging out. And uh, what we did was on the weekends, we, we would visit remote villages and do volunteer work. So we would go there and, like, you know, help to do reading time with children that were in undeserved communities, things like that. And it was fun. Um, but my friend was very dark and something that happened very often was like elderly um, Chinese people in the villages would tell him, oh, tell your friend he needs to wash better so he doesn't get so dark. Um, and I'd be like trying to explain in my, no, that's his skin color, like he cannot wash. And we thought and we're like, gosh, where does this come from? Like, this is highly offensive, but I know they're not trying to hurt us. And so it's like, we try to look at the culture and it's like when, when Asian people work on the fields, they tan and then working on the fields gets you dirty. So they associate darker skin with labor on the fields all day. So it's like associated with this like 
super low class, super. And so we're like, okay, fine. I get it. I know where they're coming from. And it started bother. It stopped bothering us. But, um, uh, then I had my assistant at my job recommend me, um, not bleaching creams. It was like, yeah, I think it was bleaching cream. It's like, if you use this and you get away from the sun, like they were always with a parasol. Um, we will go out to the mall or to eat and they always had an umbrella always or like everywhere. And I'm like, what is it? What's up with you and the sun? And they're like, Oh, some makes you old and some makes you dark. No. And I'm like, I come from a Caribbean Island. Like I love the sun. They're like, you're going to get wrinkled. You're going to get dark. I'm like, so what? It's life. But it's an obsession with youth and it's an obsession with light skin. So it was the same story in China and Korea and in Japan where everybody was obsessed with light skin. I think the, the most, I think the most heartbreaking visit was Japan. Because in Japan, I was working directly for the Department of Education. And I've heard stories, but I thought they were made up. Um, I remember the year before I went to live in Japan, Japan had a mix Miss Japan. She was half black and half Japanese. And she gave this wonderful, beautiful documentary. And I I saw the whole thing because I was into beauty pageants and I was into Japan. So I was like, ah, this is for me. But it was just this poor woman explaining how hard it was for her to grow up over there. So when I went there, I was working for a company and um, there were several couples there that were mixed Japanese and American. Um, and in the classroom, they made the mixed children sit on the back. That was one thing. No matter if you're white, no matter, nothing. If you're not pure Japanese, you sit on the back. And this? this was 2004. 14. Oh, yeah. you're saying you're saying the story and it makes it seem like it's the 1600s or something. No, it's now. And I remember um, if they don't do that, then they avoid them like the plague. And these were things that I heard that woman say on the documentary. And I was like, she's just looking for publicity. Like, I understand. Like, you know, she's trying to, to get her 15 minutes. No, no, no. This, oh, everything she said in the documentary I saw it with my own eyes. And it's like, these are children. Okay, I was teaching a first grade and it's like, they don't talk to those mixed children. And these children are sons and daughters of, you know, uh, military base people who are stationed there, Americans, um, whether they're black or white. If, if these are white children, they avoid them because they look different. And even though they were born there and speak fluent Japanese, they don't accept them as Japanese. If they're black, they avoid them because they believe that the blackness is gonna stick to them too. So they don't wanna touch them. And uh, I was speechless. I was like, this is insane. And I, was, I learned Japanese in college. I was in love with this place. I was like, oh, take me, you know, like when I got there, I remember posting on Facebook, oh, finally home, you know? And my friend's like, oh, of course she's gonna be happy there. Like I have, a collection of kimonos. I was like, I, I spoke the language. I'm like, what can go wrong? I mean, I'll be fine. And that's what went wrong. I, there's so many cultural and social constructs that are wrong that I was like, I can't be here. This is just not okay. Like you have to be okay with so many things that are wrong from those things I told you to, I remember like, I, I'm a very hyper person as you can see. And um, when I was teaching the kids, I would go out on races and they would be like jumping the rope or playing games. So I would join them. 
and be like, okay, what are we doing, guys? And I'm like, oh, we're going to play. And um, I had my boss come out. And she's like, oh, you know, she's uh, very quietly, because women speak quietly, you're not supposed to shout. So she's like, oh, Lisa, and she's like calling me, and I'm like, oh, yes, Miss uh, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, why can't you just read a book? And I'm like, what? And she's like, yes, it's recess time. You have your office. Why don't you read a book? And I'm like, I'm playing with the kids. I'm their teacher. You know, it's cultural exchange. We're supposed to be having fun. She's like, Miss... Lizarette, in Japan, women sit and read a book on recess. You don't jump around with the children. This is not appropriate. I'm like, word? Okay. Because last time I checked, I was teaching little kids. And they like this. So I'm just going to go and exclude myself and read a book somewhere because apparently you're not comfortable with it. So it was just like all these little things that you're supposed to know. And it's even more challenging when you're a woman. And it's even more challenging when you're a woman of color. <laughs> Where like, they're like, yeah, come to Japan. And they present themselves so friendly. And it's not, like, it's not. <laughs> and so it was heartbreaking for me because I had prepared myself for years for that experience. I was like, I'm moving to Japan forever. It's going to be there. And then when I got there, it's like, yeah, no. It's like, yeah, I'm not okay with this. So. Um, yeah you know sorry i went on a whole story and i didn't let no, you no 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 i people are here to listen to you not me so uh -huh. um yeah again i there's so many great things and i just feel that we are again doing this hush hush thing we're like this is what we talk about this is what we don't talk about and um it's a disservice to people especially people like me who I'm a citizen of the world. Like I've been around and I just, I've connected with so many people um, where the idea of beauty and the idea of what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to be is not unique to my home. I went to Moscow and it was like, like literally people telling you go back to Africa. And I'm like, I've never been, but I would love to go. <laughs> and I'm like, this is insane. Um, and, and I don't lack of exposure. When you, sorry, when you went to Moscow, was this also for work as well? Yes. Got it. I went to Moscow for work, um, and the, that happened. And I made I made a really good friend, and she was awesome because we could have this this conversations, right? And the reason why I went to all the places I went to work and live there it's because i really wanted to experience the culture that was important to me and so going as a tourist was not going to give me the experience mm -hmm. i wanted and i go back for example when i lived in mexico and i can tell you that if there's two places in the world what i felt welcome has been mexico and greece like where people just just want to like you feel that energy of like i just want to give you a hug man and you're like oh me too um and so in Mexico, people were very excited about my hair. Um, my students, particularly, like when I was teaching, and they're like, they will get distracted and be like, is that your real hair? I'm like, yeah. They're like, can we touch it? And I'm like, sure. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, they have, and, and it was just this contrast. So in Mexico, they don't have hair relaxers, but they have this whole array of products to curl your hair, perms. And so I remember, um, <laughs> uh, my good friend wanted me to relax his hair. He's like, oh, you're Dominican. You know how to do this. I want my hair to be long and silky. I'm like, oh, I got you. Let's go get a hair relaxer. And we were going to go in this adventure together. And like, we went to the store and they're like, 
no but we have this one that can make it girly i'm like no we want the opposite like yeah we don't, we don't sell that and so i was like holy cow like i think in dr will be the complete opposite like you're, you <laughs> yeah. buy very lessers, but no perms um and that man it's it's all again it's all about culture that's why i say you shouldn't be confined to cultural practices that you know are wrong because i met wonderful people in all of these places and then i saw people do things that i was not okay with and i believe that the new generation in all of these countries like north africa where i was living i was living in the middle east the new generation is really trying to to do things like they're trying to break free and it's like sometimes they're held back by parents and by all their members of the family but um it's amazing to have conversations with people and hear them say the things that you're like okay so you know and they're like yeah man and that's not everybody um uh, like I've, I've asked stupid questions sometimes and be like oh like i remember asking my assistant like oh so everybody um knows martial arts here right and it's like yeah. oh god it's like no we don't it's american movies do that you know she's like yeah you've watched too many she said you've watched too many american movies not everybody does i'm like oh because i think it's amazing and i want to learn but i am afterwards i was like oh my god like, yeah yeah like, i mean it goes your- back to what you it goes back to what you said earlier around around media though like a lot of what we learn comes from the media so yeah i'm sure you were just like oh my god i can't believe i even asked that question <laughs> And then I've had to spend a whole year with this woman. She was my assistant, but not she, she's she's wonderful. I love her. I still talk to her, but it was just a very embarrassing moment. And then she told me, oh, all foreigners come here. They always ask silly questions. I'm like, okay, good. I'm glad to know I'm not the first one. <laughs> it, it's so interesting too, because we started the conversation talking about expectations around like certain cultural things, but mostly around like our family, right? And then sort of like, as you try, as you would sort of grow up and and, you start working and then there are even expectations like in the work setting right and like you had to get over that and now you are you know seems to be like you seems to be like you're very comfortable in, in who you are and everything you know as you look forward and think about you know your continued growth like what's one thing that continues to inspire and empower you to keep being your authentic self children that's a very easy question I have to choose something that inspired me to continue being my authentic self. It has to be children. That's why I want to finish my PhD and become Dr. Nizniavich. Um, and there's obviously a little bit of my mom back there, but they need to see that they can too. Children need to see that they are wonderful humans and they are allowed. And I, I started writing books for children because I want them to feel there's a place for them in stories, there's a place for them in success. There's a place for them everywhere because adults are tough. I've, I've been fascinated with psychology for a long time and when I was choosing what I was gonna do my PhD in, after getting my master's in early childhood, I was like, oh, you know, general psychology. And then I was like, no, adults are tough because adults are really who they are. And then it's just, helping them find coping mechanisms and all of that and i'm like yeah that's not me but to inspire a child i've been doing that for a long time 15 years and it's like children just gravitate towards me and it's like they go home i remember this mom once who told me 
oh, now he wants me to get him a guitar because you told him he's a musician. And like, <laughs> she was kind of upset and annoyed. But at the same time, it was like we were laughing. It's like, you know, now he thinks he's a musician and I have to get him a guitar, a guitar thanks to you, Miss Lisa. I'm like, hey, he has an ear for music. Um, I'm not saying anything. I'm not, you know, but he's good. He's good. You should let him explore. And so to feel that I'm able to just put that positive inspiration into someone who's coming up and then they can use that in the future to say i know who i am i found who i am I, you're not gonna break me that's my that's it like i don't need anything else in life if i if i can continue to inspire children they are the world is theirs they're gonna change the world we're not gonna change the world it's the upcoming generation who's gonna come and be like I'm gonna make this place nicer, better, and more lovable because there were people in my life when I was a kid who told me I could, and that's who I am.